Hey guys, thanks for listening. My name is Brett. This is the Engage Church Podcast. I'm the lead pastor here at Engage, and I'm so thrilled that you've taken some time to listen to this. We're starting a brand new series called Who Made God? It's easy to make assumptions about who God is when we only see him in the wrong light. Sometimes we ask questions like, who made God or who is God? And the real question is, are you talking about God or are you talking about your own version of who he is? You know, sometimes God doesn't need to fit our expectations and that's not a bad thing. This is a brand new message called the on-demand God. And spoiler alert, he doesn't exist. I want to dive in here to Exodus chapter 32. Exodus chapter 32, verse 1. Chris, I'm just going to let you know it's not showing up on the front here, just letting you know. When the people saw, no, there we go. Wow. When the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. Come on, they said, make us some gods who can lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. Now, that might seem like a random selection, and it is, so I'll give you the backstory. Uh, you might be familiar with this concept that the Israelites were living in Egypt as slaves. For 400 years, they lived as slaves. They built all kinds of things, like there's even some thought to suggest that a good part of those pyramids were built by the very same Israelites that were talking about here, or at least portions of it. They were liberated by a man named Moses, a guy who was raised, though a Jew was raised in uh, Pharaoh, the king of Egypt's household, then killed a couple guys, ran away for 40 years, lived as a shepherd, and then God meets him in a burning bush and he says, hey Moses, it's time for you to go and set my people free. So Moses goes back, he meets with Pharaoh, unleashes a whole bunch of plagues, or God unleashes a whole bunch of plagues through the conversations and through the authority of Moses. Then they let, Pharaoh lets God's people go, they run away, they come to a river, they start freaking out because the Egyptian army is running behind them about to slaughter them, and God makes a way where there is no way, separates the sea, they walk right through, and just as the army that's following them, about to kill them, gets in there, the water comes crashing down, and it's a decisive victory for God and, by default, God's people. These people are now wandering in the desert, looking to find God, find some peace, find a place, find a purpose. And God says, come and meet me on this mountain, and the people are like, whoa, 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 whoa. We do not want to get too close to God because we know what he is capable of. So Moses, why don't you go up and talk to him and we will hang out down here. And so Moses goes on up the mountain. Now later in the book of Exodus, it tells us that every time Moses met with God and he came back down the mountain, he would have to cover up his face because his body was literally glowing. The Old Testament says that his countenance changed, but it's not just like, Oh, you've got such a great complexion. What a glow. He was literally being transformed from the inside out because he was close to the presence of God. And so he would have to wear a veil because people are like, bro, your face is glowing again. Moses goes up the mountain for what ends up being roughly 40 days and nights. And what we discover is that the people 
apparently had some place to be, even though they're living in a camp in the middle of the desert. And they're like, we don't know where that literally we don't know what's happened to this fellow Moses. Get us some gods. Who can lead us now? What they're asking Aaron, who is Moses's brother to do, the high priest to do, was to literally build them something that they could worship and have a party around. So what they did, what Moses did right after this comment was made, is he collected everyone's gold earrings, jewelry. They melted it down, made a giant golden calf, put it in the middle of the camp and had a party and and went nuts and danced around it all night. Because clearly that was the God who could lead them to the promised land. Not the God who just miraculously showed up and unleashed 10 plagues across the nation of Egypt, systematically destroying their deity structure because each plague represent another God that they worship. So God went plague by plague by plague, bang, saying, listen, I am the name above every other name. I am the God above every other gods. I'm going to systematically show you that I am who I say I am and that I am is God. After he does that, after he sets them free, after he feeds them in the desert, after water comes up out of a rock, they're like, listen, this God isn't working for me anymore. If you could just build me something nice out of gold and I'm even willing to invest in it because clearly I need a statue. That statue can lead me. Sounds kind of crazy, doesn't it? What's interesting is across Canada right now, there is a growing segment of people uh, called, well, I call them the nuns. They're not religiously affiliated. And in, in, in a decade, in 2001, 16.2% uh, of Canadians said that they were not religiously affiliated. And, and just 10 years later, in 2011, 23.9% of people said that they were not religiously affiliated. And now, by our best guesses or estimates, because we're still waiting for those updated stats, I don't know why it takes so long to figure these things out. We're guessing that that number is pushing 30% of people. You may or may not have noticed that it seems like less people are like religiously committed. That that stat, the, the stat that says how many Canadians are religiously committed, which I don't even know what that actually means, is about 21%, which is actually way higher than I anticipated. But that's every faith. So it's actually way lower than maybe we anticipated. But it seems like With every week and with every month, somebody else that I know, somebody in my circles, maybe somebody that I went to Bible college with, somebody that I grew up with, it just seems like person after person seems to be rejecting God. It seems like society as a whole is rejecting this God. And kind of like these Israelites, so that seems crazy because, you know, when when we read it now, we're like, wow, that was not smart. Golden calf in the middle of the desert. Who, who? And then what do you do after? Do you melt it down and get everyone gets their jewelry back? Like, how does that work? Why am I going to worship this table? Behold your new God, black table with coffee cup. <laughs> Seems silly. But I have a theory. I, I, I think that while it feels like a lot of people might be rejecting God, my, my theory is actually this. I believe that people aren't necessarily Rejecting the God that you know, but they're rejecting a false view of who God is. 
They might have heard some things. They might have learned some things. They might have got it passed down through tradition. They might have even uh, uh, been in church for a long time, but they're not rejecting the God of, of the Bible. They're not rejecting the God of the scripture. They're not rejecting the Jesus that you have a personal relationship with. They're rejecting their idea of God. The question on the screen is who made God? And the honest answer for most of us is I did. <laughs> I chose the parts of the Bible I liked. I chose the parts of my faith that I liked. I chose the experience that I liked. I, I, chose, I chose this attribute of God that I liked. And then I put them all together and I made a golden calf of sorts. And I, and I called it my faith and my Christianity. But I'm not interested in the God that, that I think exists. I'm interested in the God who created the universe, who wrote the scripture, who's changing lives one every day, who's setting me free one day at a time. I'm interested in having a relationship with that God, not the God that I made. I'm interested in knowing Jesus, who he says he is and not who I think he is. And so what we're going to do over the next four weeks is we're going to just unpack these ideas of, of who we thought God is and then see what his word actually says he is. Today, we're talking about the on-demand God. Now, I don't know if you know this, but we, you, know, you do know this. We live in a world that wants everything right now. I have uh, uh, 150 internet at my house. Yep, tell us 150 for all those video downloads. And uh, mostly to keep the kids happy with the Netflix. But we've got 150 internet. And I don't have TELUS, so I didn't double. A friend of mine uh, just had his doubled on Shaw. So his went from 150 to 300. I don't even know what the numbers mean. They're symbolic and realistic all at the same time. But what I know is that when I grew up, I think I had two, internet two, like that was the download speed. Like when you're, you know, when you're like out somewhere on your cell phone and the image isn't loading fast enough, you're like, why? And then you understand that that cell phone that you hold in your hand has more computing power than any of the computers that NASA did when they th theoretically sent people to the moon. Uh, <laughs> And then I'm sitting there watching my Netflix show and it starts buffering. I'm like, come on! You're not fast enough! And the truth is, nothing will ever be fast enough. Because as fast as they can speed it up is as fast as I want something more. You know, on, on our trip, I, I binge watched an entire show. Because uh, what else do you do with six hours, you know? Uh, and uh, the kids had their tabs and they fell asleep. So I'm like, all right. Watching the show. I just watch the whole thing and I love it because I can just I can just download it now and I can just like watch it whenever I want. And and then uh, we were in, in the hotel room and everyone was sick, as I was saying, and and you know, I'm trying to find something on like hotel room TV, which is kind of hard to do because kids want their shows and their channels and uh, tablets were dead. So, you know, we're going and, and Everett, my son, he's six, starts getting mad at the commercials. He's like, Dad, why why are we why are we watching this? What, it, what, it, what are these things and why are we watching it? Also, can we buy some Lucky Charms? It's like, he just like, he got so mad because in his lifetime, he doesn't have to know the pain of commercials. He doesn't have to know the pain of going home to watch a show at a specific time, on a specific day, finding that in a TV guide or a newspaper. 
Because half the time that scrolling thing was not worth the pain for 72 minutes watching until your channel comes around to see what the next show is. He doesn't have to deal with any of those things. But the truth is, those things have implications for us because it's not just the things that we like in life that don't come fast enough. What we have discovered now is that everything in our life doesn't come fast enough. The answers to our prayers don't come fast enough. The answer about what I'm supposed to do with the rest of my life. I mean, I asked him 37 seconds ago. He could just slide into my DMs and let me know. Right? Like, I want to know right now. I love red receipts because I like holding people accountable to their lack of response. On phones, it's like, I, I literally texted you one minute ago. Why didn't you not respond to me? I saw that you read it. The hesitation is. And that's, and that's how I think about God, too. God, all these, there's, like, you, you, you promise things to me. Your word promised things to me. God, I, you told me that. I could be this, or I could do this, or I was created for this, and yet, like, I just started trying, and it's, it's not going anywhere right now. Or, God, I've been praying for something, and it's not happening. And then the truth is, this, this drags out over time as well. You know, maybe you're a teenager, and you prayed every day for, for your parents' relationship because you could see the strain. You could sense the strain. You could, you could hear the tension when their utensils hit the plate, and you're like, okay, this isn't good. And yet, even though you prayed every day, God didn't answer your prayer, it seemed like, and your parents got divorced. Maybe, you know, you're a good person. You do good things. You give to the right charities. You give to church, and yet you, you still feel like in spite of all the promises that you heard about, you're still struggling financially. And you're like, okay, God, how come you're not doing anything? And the truth is, most of us, uh, the, why we're sitting here is we are looking for answers just as much as we've found the solution. We're like, okay, God. Okay, God, but <laughs> what about all these things? Sometimes when God doesn't do the things that we want him to do, when we want him to do it, we conclude that maybe God isn't real. Maybe he isn't powerful. Maybe he isn't good. And by the time we've got through those assertions, we definitely assume that the God that I'm pretending doesn't exist because I'm mad at him because he didn't do it fast enough definitely doesn't care about me. And then I get to this question. I say, where is my God, where is God anyways? But the truth is what I'm actually asking is, where is my on-demand God? I keep hitting the button, and now I have to wait for it to load. Where is my on-demand God? And the reality is, on-demand God doesn't exist. <laughs> on-demand God doesn't exist. Jesus performing one of the most incredible miracles takes a kid's Lunchables, feeding 5,000 men. They didn't count the women and children in that age, in that time. So literally 15 to 20,000 people were gathered on a hillside. Now, I don't know what kind of hills these were, but obviously there's large and they could all listen. And he took literally this kid's lunch and prayed for it. And the disciples kept handing it out until 
by the end, they got to the end of it, and they're like, oh, look, we got leftovers. And it turns out there was 12 doggy bags, one for each of them. And the people were just like, this is amazing. And the Bible actually says Jesus felt like, in John chapter 6, Jesus felt like they were about to crown him king. I think it's John 6, 15. He says he, he could sense the, the crowd was going to go crazy. They were going to name him king because he fed them because they were hungry, and he did it kind of on demand. And so he just slipped away into the crowd, and he went to, the Bible says, a quiet place. He went away to pray because he knew that if he left his soul in that condition, you know, being... Oh man, maybe it was the best thing for him to get away. So he goes away and he connects back to the source of all his power. And the people track him down. They literally track him down. Because now, next day they want breakfast. Like They're like, do we wait for him? Do we wait for you to do miracles or do we bring a lunch? Like that's the real question from here on out. Like is this an all the time thing? Should I always come hungry or... What's the plan? And so they track Jesus down. I'm like, where are you? What are you doing over here? When did you get here? And this is John chapter 6, verse 26. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs. You literally just want to be near me because I gave you what you wanted because you were hungry and now you're looking for me right now because guess what? You're hungry again. In verse 30 they said, they answered, show us a miraculous sign. If you want us to believe in you, what can you do? Do you see how quickly that changed? They're like, hey, Jesus. Good to see you. Yesterday we were about to make you king because we were hungry. Now we're here. Come on, show it. Do some tricks. And he's like, no, you don't, you don't want me for me. You want me for what I can do for you. And they're like, come show me what you can do. Verse 31, after all, our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed through the wilderness. The scripture said, Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. Come on, Jesus, do something. Do a miracle. Prove to us that your God do something more. Now, isn't what's interesting, this is what's interesting about this to me, is that now they're quoting Moses, but if they would have lived during the time that this was happening, these would have been the very same people who said, who is this Moses fellow anyways, and built a golden calf. These are the same people who are interested in only a God who can deliver when they want it, how they want it, if they want it, when they want it, but aren't interested in anything else. These people, these crazy people, have the audacity to say, Jesus, I'm hungry, make me lunch right now, or you're not God. And the crazy thing about these people is that those people are us. And that sucks to think about. Do I care about who Jesus is? About who he says he is? About what he wants to do? Or do I just care? Hey, God, I'm hungry. Do you have any more Lunchables? Because I really like the ham and cheese combo. If there's anything that we could capture today, I think it would be this. God doesn't exist to serve us. We exist to serve him. We, we need to like recalibrate our thinking, right? We need to recalibrate things. God doesn't exist to serve us. We exist to serve him. We 
This is like, seems so simple. <laughs> and yet we don't like it because we're like, wait, what did you mean by serve him? Think about it this way. When you think about the Bible, how many times did you show up there? We didn't, right? We're not the main character of the Bible. God is. God is. And so we can recalibrate. In fact, I would go as far as to say Jesus is the main character of the Bible. The whole thing is a redemptive storyline. And yet we do find ourselves on the pages because we find these moments where we're just like those people. But every single time we find ourselves in those people, we find this decision, this make or break moment. That very day, hundreds of people, hundreds of people left Jesus and said, I don't want anything to do with this guy anymore. Because they were disappointed because what they were more interested in was their celestial sugar daddy. And that's what we're interested in too. Like, give me the genie in the sky who I can say, our father who art in heaven, give me what I want. And we'll just, everything will be okay. Nobody's going to get hurt here today. We're interested in the cosmic (laughs) Coke machine. And yet we have to remember that he is the creator and we are the created. (laughs) He is the potter. We are the clay. He is the Lord. We are his servants. It's just a recalibration for 2019. You know, there's this old Pentecostal saying that if Jesus isn't Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. (laughs) What part of my life or what part is there where I am more interested in getting something from God than I am in getting to know God. Hmm. Okay, so if if the on-demand God doesn't exist, then who is God and what God does exist? Great question. To understand those things, I want to look at who God is. I want... I want us to unpack this for a moment. Here's, here's the first thought. God's heart, we, if, if you want to know who somebody is, we've got to know what they, they love. Like, I love coffee, and so you can get to my heart if you bring me good coffee. So now we want to understand who God is. We need to understand what he loves. So God's heart is always loving. When we're trying to understand what we're going through, when we're trying to understand or find an answer to our questions, let this be the first thought that comes into our minds. Not, how come it's not happening yet? How come it's not happening yet? God's heart is always loving. Now, how many people here have kids? Anyone have kids? Uh, Lots of people. How many of you like your kids? And how many of you love your kids? See, more hands went up for love than like. Because there's those seasons where you're like, you are a jerk. And then you're like, oh, I see a lot of me right there. Uh, (laughs) But you have the ability to do a lot of things for your kids, right? Like you can, you can give them, honestly, you can give them almost anything that they want. You can't, most of you, most of us have that ability. Like, because what kids really want are things like right now, like I'm hungry now. And you, you, you know, you oftentimes, they're younger, you feed them. As they get older, you're like, no, nah, this doesn't work this way. 
You know, you go to the store and, and your kids see that giant, insane Nerf gun. And if you're with me, I buy it. But if you're with Desiree, she's like, no, you need to save up. You know, you've got birthday money. You got Christmas money. We can save up like we can. You're six, but we can we can get some jobs for you. And, you know, like you like I'm not going to give you everything right now because you want it, because you need to learn some things along the way. I love you. But I can teach you more things by holding this back from you for a season, not because I can't give it to you, not because I don't want to give it to you, but because for you right now, this isn't the right thing. I mean, how many times have you been thankful that God hasn't answered your prayer? You know, you're 14, you're like, God, I want to marry Susie Peterson. And now you're like, oh God, thank you for not answering my prayer. You crept your Facebook last night, you're like, wow. I'm talking about like her career trajectory didn't line up with yours. I don't know what you're thinking about. <clears throat> also, can I ask you why you were creeping her page last night? But that's a whole nother conversation. But we're, you're thankful that God didn't answer that prayer because you're like, clearly you love me and clearly there is a God because you did not answer that prayer. Sometimes, we're, you know, we're trying to find these answers to these hard questions like, God, how come you're not doing this thing in my life right now? How come God's heart is always loving? John 8, verse 38. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? I mean... Maybe we should put this into modern language because I don't know who's planning on being held at sword point naked. So, um, who then or what then shall separate us from the love of God? Financial trouble, unemployment, cancer, relationship breakdown, depression. Should those things separate us from the love? Of God, you see, when I used to read this verse, I used to, I used to think about like, oh yeah, no, there's nothing that could get in the way of of of, me, of God loving me, but really, this is also talking about what could get in the way of me loving God. I always read it the other way. Yeah, there's nothing that can get in the way of God's love for me, but there's are plenty of things that I can get in the way of me loving God if I let them. Hey, God, this situation right now, why did you put me in this and? To be honest, if he was talking to you right now, he'd say, actually, you put yourself here. You're just blaming me. Who then or what then shall separate us from the love of God? If we continue it. It says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. There is nothing. And he literally covers everything because he says not even the future can stop us. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. His love is overwhelming. And you're like, yeah, you know what can separate us? That thing that you didn't do. Can I tell you, God doesn't prove his love when he answers our prayers. 
God does not prove his love when he answers our prayers. God proved his love when he sent his one and only son to die on the cross for us, that we could have everlasting life, that we could have a personal one-on-one relationship with him forever. God doesn't prove his love by answering his prayers to you. He already proved his love when his son died on the cross. Second thought, God's ways are always higher. His ways are always higher. Isaiah 55 verse 8, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. His ways are higher. God, how come you're not doing this thing right now? Ecclesiastes 3.11, God has put eternity on the hearts of all humankind, but we cannot see the whole scope of God's work. We miss it. He sees it from beginning to end, and we just see the little storyline in between. The truth is, if we're being honest, most of us are capable of thinking about 27 minutes into the future. That's like what we're concerned about right now. Like on our best days, we plan seven days out, and then when we get there, we're concerned about those 27 minutes, and we cancel because we're like, I can't go. We're, we're, we're so focused on the right here, right now, and, and we can blame society. We can blame all these things. Like, listen, this is the day and the hour that we're living in, so we can, we can learn some things, but we can also find, <laughs> we can find some truth in this simple thought And even though it sucks to wait or it sucks to not get the outcome that you want, God's ways are higher and his thoughts are higher. He sees the world from beginning to end. He does not, he's not held by time nor space. He's higher. He's higher. Final thought. God's presence is always enough. God's presence is always enough. Psalm 23, the most famous portion of scripture, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. That's like the sanitized version. You like the version that says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why does he fear no evil? Because you, being God, (laughs) are with me. I don't have to be afraid because as long as your presence is with me, I'm good. I'm good. I will walk through that thing. I will walk through that fire. I will walk through that situation. I will walk through that pain because as long as you're with me, I will not be afraid because you are with me and you are enough. Sometimes we have to walk through the darkest valley. Sometimes we have to hit that bottom place, those, that dark place that looks like death and smells like death and feels like death to realize that God is all you have. And when you understand that God is all you have, you can begin to understand that God is all you need. So God's presence is always enough. And if I'm being honest, this is generally 
The other two thoughts were like, yeah, we like those thoughts. Those are fine. This is where the side eye comes. Because it's like, what if I don't feel it? What if it feels more like death than it feels like God is there? Well, then we understand that because God is always loving and because God is always higher, that his promises went out. And so when he says, I will never leave you or forsake you, I believe that he's there and he's with me even in the valley of the shadow of death because I fear no evil. When it doesn't feel like it, I remember that God says, listen, I am with you now and into the end of the age. I am with you. The next couple weeks, two weeks, we're going to talk about the goosebumps God. The God that gives me all the feels. But I can tell you that God and his presence, his being present is higher than how you feel about his presence. Often, when we find ourselves in those moments, in our darkest moments, you discover that he's there because you discover that he's the person that you're yelling at. (laughs) He's the one you're angry at. So why are you yelling at him if he's not there? Why are you literally weeping before him saying, God, do something about this if he's not there? Why are you so frustrated at him not answering your prayer if he is not there? I'm sorry that you're not getting what you want, when you want, how you want. But sorry, not sorry. (laughs) Because God's ways are higher and he loves you and he knows what's best for you. And can I tell you, he did not inflict these things upon you, but he wants to walk with you through all of these things. And can I tell you, he's even closer when you made the mess yourself and he comes and picks up all the pieces. Wow, thanks for taking the time to listen. Uh, It means a lot that you invested this time. You're probably at the gym or you're stuck in traffic. If you're stuck in traffic, hey, you're gonna make it. You're gonna get there. Uh, If you're at the gym, you can do this. One more rep. You got it. You got it. Hey, thanks for listening. We're gonna continue next week. Who made God with the Killjoy Doc?